a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about the debt ceiling and how that affects us personally. And it does. Joining me today is Robert Spinlove. He's a senior economist at Zions Bank. And also Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants. And Robert, when I say this sort of affects us, it seems very theoretical and... Most people understand that if I have a personal credit card and I'm allowed to charge up to $5,000 on it and I hit that $5,000, I can't generally just turn around to the bank and go, you know, I know I haven't paid off this $5,000, but I need more because I want to buy more stuff. And that's what the government is doing. They do is we have all this debt in the, the U.S. economy. And when they're trying to balance the budget and they can't and they go, oh, we've hit our debt allowance. Let's just raise that some more so we can just take on more money. It's something that frustrates me, too, because you hear people say, well, the U.S. economy is so complex and the budget situation is so complex that it's just nothing like your household finances. I disagree because we've been able to finance higher government debt because interest rates have been low and it hasn't had an impact, but we're going into a period of higher interest rates. So imagine, take your credit card and imagine if your interest rate went from 10% to 20%, the service on that debt goes up. So it will eat away the ability of us to, fi- uh, to fund other projects in the future. First of all, I want to go back to Economy 101 for the debt that the entire U.S. has. It has to get paid somehow. So if if I say, okay, I'm just going to, we'll take the pandemic for one, that there were a lot of programs that were passed. The government gave loans, free loans to people who were struggling during the pandemic. But if the individual themselves doesn't have to pay back the money on that loan with any interest, how is the government making money? What, like basically, where is the government getting its money to pay back the money it's lending out? Yeah, and th- it, this is such an interesting example, kind of this real-time lesson in applied economics. So, the, say, between 2020 and 2022, the government created $6 trillion out of thin air. In the old days, they would say we're, they're printing money. Um, they're not actually printing money, but that's what they're doing. They're just creating money out of thin air and just dumping it in the market. And they do that for a number of different mechanisms. Um, but the, the, the main way they finance that is through deficit and debt borrowing. So that, you know, they sell bonds and we all go out and buy those bonds. And as they do that, the value or the, the amount of money in the market goes up. Uh, another thing that the Fed has been doing is the Fed has been going out on what they do is they go out and they buy bonds. And so they, they artificially create 
higher demand for products and that has the effect of creating more money in the economy as okay, well. Okay, wait a minute. So one branch of the government is just creating money out of thin air digitally. This, yeah. And another branch of the government is buying the fake money that the other side of the government created. Why does the yeah. taxpayer have to deal with all that? <laughs> I know, right? And so that's <laughs> what I'm describing is fiscal policy is Congress and the monetary policy is the Fed. And they're sometimes at odds, but during the pandemic, they were both doing everything. So if you just kind of think of the effect, you had Congress throwing money at people, right? They were just saying whether it's the PPP program or the unemployed uh, insurance program or the direct payments, they're literally just throwing money at us. And then you had the Fed stepping into the bond markets and the two main things that the Fed bought were treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities. So if you think of what that does to interest rates, it causes business loans to be cheaper and, of course, mortgage uh, uh, 30-year mortgage rates to be lower. And so that it, the, the goal of that was to stimulate the economy, but it did increase that overall deficit and debt. Where did the feds get their money to buy the fake money that Congress created. They, they, they are, they create the money. They literally just create <laughs> the money. <laughs> so they created even more money to go buy the fake bonds. Yep. And it's, it, and what the interesting thing, uh, so this is the Fed's balance sheet. The Fed has always had a balance sheet, but they've never, well, before the, the Great Recession in 2009, they'd never used their balance sheet significantly as a tool. Um, so before the Great Recession, their balance sheet was about $800 billion. Um, it's now around $9 trillion. So they've been actively using their balance sheet to essentially create money, keep interest rates low, keep the economy going. And I, I don't know if you're going to get to this, but here's the problem. It's created the inflation that we're seeing right now. Yeah, that was my next point was... <laughs> All of this, everybody was under this false sense of security with the low interest rates. And look at me, I can afford everything. And they went out and bought everything. And then all of a sudden we had a shortage because the pandemic came along. Because this was all started before the pandemic happened. It got worse in the pandemic. But the lowering interest rates and everybody thinking they could buy a lot started before the pandemic. Yeah. And so... Everybody's in the midst of buying all this stuff because they think it's really cheap for them. And then the pandemic hits and supply, everybody went, oh, wait, we got to hold up everything and turn our efforts toward curing the pandemic, which then caused a lot of shortages in everything. Then all these products that people wanted to buy started becoming in short supply. So whoever had the most money won. That's right. So if, if you kind of think about what created our current situation, it really was a perfect storm. So just like you said, we had this uh, this change in demand. So we had a change in consumer demand because of the pandemic. You know, no one was traveling. So everyone was buying things. And then we had this uh, historic impact in the economy from the pandemic where in two months, 22 million people lost their jobs. Uh, GDP contracted by 30% in one quarter. So the federal government, and, you know, and I, def I actually uh, think that 
their initial uh, action was appropriate because they were keeping the economy from collapsing. Um, but there is an effect of that, which is that they dumped all this money into the economy and then the economy came roaring back again. And that's what we're seeing now is we're still seeing this overheating of the economy, which is causing this huge inflation. Um, now, the mistake that the, the big mistake the Fed did make, though, is they didn't recognize the inflation. If you remember a year ago when we were seeing the inflation, uh, they called it transitory. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're saying, don't worry, it's only toilet paper and, and used cars and it'll go away on its own. And they were just flat out wrong. And then they took too long to react. They didn't start raising rates until March of this year. Yeah. And so they, they're behind the curve and now they're struggling to catch up with it. Yeah. I need to get to you, Susan, because how is all of this affecting us as taxpayers individually? Most people, you know, there's all this stuff that we've been talking about. Yes, we see the effect at the grocery stores, but the concepts of it still just seem so theoretical. It can't really affect me personally. Well, I think it will. The thing that's interesting is we're in this time of inflation, but the economy is still doing pretty good. So I think that what we're going to see this year, let's say, as we file tax returns, inflation is taking a toll on businesses. But I think that we're going to see some healthy income tax returns coming in with some tax liabilities that we worry that um, taxpayers may not be able to pay because their dollars are not buying what they used to buy. So I think that there's going to be a little bit of a lag there. You know, yeah. but we're seeing, I mean, we do know, I um, was in a meeting the other day just listening on some of the numbers just here in Utah. We know that sales tax amounts are down. We, we are starting to see a little bit of effect of income taxes coming in. But, but the concern is when you've had it, when you do owe taxes and you don't have the ability to pay, you still owe them. And the government's going to expect them, whether it's the IRS or the state in which you live. Yeah. And so then you're either going out to borrow money or if you're financing with powers that be, you're still going to have an interest and penalty impact. So if I was one of those people that bought the new car during the pandemic and I'm still making all the car payment on, on that, plus I have my mortgage, now groceries have gone up gas has gone up. And typically when I file my taxes, I owe a bit of money, but guess what? The increased taxes and the interest rate on my car, the whole bit is much higher. What Susan is saying is I won't have that typical cushion that I used to have that I could just pay off my taxes when I file. You may not. You may not because like say the prices have gone up. I mean, heavens, look at what's gone, gone on with groceries just in the last year. So our savings are being kind of eroded a little bit. And, you know, there is concern. I mean, we're hearing concern among our members who are working with taxpayers. And it's kind of like, oh, this is this could be a rough ride for a lot of people. Okay, we need to take a break. When we come back, we'll delve more into this debt ceiling thing and why the government doesn't have to respond the way the rest of us do. So we'll be right back with Robert Spinlove, the senior economist at Zion Bank, and Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. 
two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we are talking about how the debt ceiling and the government creating money out of thin air, which apparently I just learned they did, is affecting us personally. So joining me today is Susan Spears. She is the CEO of UACPA and Robert Spinlove, a senior economist at Zion Bank. Robert, I do want to go back to this whole thing about the government just creating cash out of nothing, buying stuff with money they created on the other side that we talked about in the first segment. Why can't I do that? I mean, if the government can do it, why can't I just go, oh, look, I have a million dollars. No problem. I don't have to worry about it. Why isn't the government being held to the same standards as the American people? Uh, You know, so this is where it starts to get kind of complex. What I would say is because we allow the government to do it. We have allowed the government. If you go back, it was really Alexander Hamilton. If you pay attention to the play, Alexander (laughs) Hamilton said, I want to start deficit spending and borrowing money to finance government growth. And there was a big debate between uh, Jefferson and Hamilton. Jefferson was saying we should not be borrowing a lot of money. We should kind of live within our means. Hamilton's argument won out, and it's been that way ever since. The last time I know of that the government had a balanced budget was in the 90s when Bill Clinton was president. And I do understand that shortly after George W. Bush took over, we did have 9-11. And so there was a lot of expenditures and changing up where money was going uh, for defense. But that was over 20 years ago. So why haven't we gotten back on track? Because we did have a president in my lifetime that was able to do that. Uh, I'll give you another argument, too, though, even on the personal side. Imagine if you run your house, you ran your household without ever borrowing any money. There is an argument in favor of leveraging your money in order to have a greater impact. So very few people, I would guess almost no people buy a house with cash or pay for college with cash or buy a car with cash. So there is an argument to use leverage to be able to increase the impact of your money. And then there's specific with the U.S. government. The U.S. government is the most powerful government in the world and has the most powerful financial system. And one of the ways that we are able to to use that power is because of this leverage, because the U.S. government, because the Federal Reserve is so powerful, we can influence what happens around the world. If we stopped using that leverage, then our our position around the world would be weakened. But we never pay ourselves back. I mean, they're just raising the debt ceiling every single year because if they didn't raise the debt ceiling, the government would be out of balance. And if that happens, the government shuts down, which we've seen a few times in the last decade. Like I said at the beginning, I can't just go, oh, I'm at my max of $5,000 and I just want more stuff. So 
I'm going to raise my limit by myself to $10,000 and just do that every year. Yeah. Um, and, and that's true. However, someone said the U.S. I think it was Winston Churchill. He said the U.S. system is the worst except for every other system in the world. <laughs> so even as bad as it is, everyone wants to buy U.S. government debt. And the, the, the U.S. bond market is the strongest in the world because even with these problems, everyone wants to buy it. I mean, it's anyone who's buying any kind of bonds are putting into this, whether it's Americans, whether it's other governments, whether it's foreign citizens, the U.S. bond market is considered to be the safest place to put your money in the entire world. Even though yeah. it's all imaginary. Even, even though it's all imaginary. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, we did get knocked down. I mean, the World Bank was a year or so ago. They knocked us down to double um, A instead of A. So that's the risk. And, you know, and that's part of the debate is that at one, what point does the world stop having uh, stop having confidence in the U.S. financial system? And we don't know where that is or when that happens. But that is, in my opinion, that's the biggest risk of this deficit spending and of, of these uh, this national debt is eventually the world may lose, lose confidence uh, in our financial system. And then we're in big trouble. The American people are getting really frustrated because, as I said, they just keep raising the ceiling debt. Our taxes go up with it, even though I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. Both sides claim that we're not raising our taxes and they do. They just do it in different ways. Your taxes could be raised because they want to help fund social programs or your taxes are going to be raised because you're trying to pay the banks from Mr. George W. Bush. Thank you very much. Sending out trillions of dollars to the banks that were folding in 2008 because God forbid a bank would fold because, you know, the rest of us can't just go, oh, I don't want to declare bankruptcy when I am bankrupt. You're right. The Americans are certainly getting concerned. Americans are becoming more angry, but I think that it also gives Americans the opportunity to start being more involved in what their local governments are doing, their municipalities on up to their state legislatures, even up to the federal. Um, to say that the federal government is 100% at fault, I, I think is pushing it. Um, because we all have a responsibility. We, we, those of us that have the ability to vote, we have some say in this. And I think that, um, I think we've been complacent. You know, everything's been rocking and rolling. Everything's been fine. And now we run into this hiccup and it starts to affect our pocketbooks. Well, the time to get involved was years ago. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's been 40 years since we've had a balanced budget, but where's the American people been? You know, so I, I do think that as Americans, we all have some responsibility in this, you know, in this situation. And, um, I, I think that I, you know, my, um, I, I mean, I, you know, you know, me, I'm a little bit of a geek that way. Um, I, I do have concern and Robert, you know, I've explained, I've expressed that concern up on the hill a time or two, but I, I think that, um, involvement at whatever level you can be is essential to start to turn this around a little bit. Robert, what would happen if everyone live within their means, essentially? I mean, I do have a mortgage, but I have no other debt. 
I don't have credit cards. If I want something, it has to be paid directly out of my bank account or I don't purchase it at all. When I go to the gas station, I pay with cash and my groceries are cash. What if everybody did that aside from a mortgage and, and a car payment, paid for everything else with what they had in their savings? What would happen to the economy? I think the economy would be fine. What, one of the things I was going to mention, though, is how many of us were willing to turn down that free government money that came to us over the last two years? You know, it's, it's really easy to say, don't spend, don't borrow this money. But when you get a check in the mail in the summer of 2020, I, I don't know many people that refused it. And so uh, that that's where kind of human interest comes in. Uh, you know, we all want the free money. But it's not free. It's not free. And and the the price that we're paying, it's just like uh, a credit card mm -hmm. because we are now going to be paying the price for that free money. And we're paying it with higher interest rates or excuse me, higher inflation, which is going to cause higher interest rates. So we will be paying for that free money for a long time. Yeah, no. I, and I understand that. And I didn't have too much of an issue that that people who really needed the money was able to get it because through no fault of their own, everything shut down. What I do have issue with is what level of income the government thought that people needed it, because I think they put that limit way too high. Well, and they sent checks to people for no reason. They literally just mailed out checks. And that's the, you know, that's the real struggle is some level of reaction was, I think, necessary, but they went too far, too fast, too dramatic. And then when we started to see signs of the economy overheating, they didn't react quick enough. So here, here's the problem now, you know, kind of how I say that we're going to be paying for this free money. Um, so the, the Fed is now essentially forced to dramatically increase interest rates. Uh, they've already raised them 3% uh, this year. And uh, they're probably going to have to raise them another 2% uh, within the next six months. So because the U.S. Uh, financial system, because the our, our bond market is the strongest in the world, many other countries actually finance their own debt using uh, the U.S. financial system. And so we're starting to see many countries getting in big trouble. Uh, and we're going to see real serious financial problems with many uh, developing countries because of the action the Fed is going to be taking. This is where it turns into not just a U.S. problem, but we start to have contagion around the world um, in a lot of different areas. Sri Lanka is an example of that. Because the other governments don't have enough funds to pay it back, pay or buy the bonds at the higher interest rates that we have now. And it's because the dollar is so powerful that so in Sri Lanka, they finance their debt with U.S. dollars because their their currency isn't really worth anything. And so but if you finance your debt with U.S. dollars and then if the Fed raises interest rates, what it does, the, the effect of raising interest rates is to attract more money to come into the bond market. And it caused the U.S. dollar to go up dramatically. And so these countries that finance their debt in dollars now the the value of the dollar has gone up it's make it more made it more difficult for them to service their debt and the sri lankan government actually was deposed because of this issue we need to take one more break when we come back we'll try to 
figure out how this is going to affect me personally. Because that's what this show is about. My own personal finance. What can I do? Aside from voting, which everybody should be voting and registered to vote. We'll be right back with Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA, and Robert Spenlove, the senior economist at Zion Bank. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it, and today we're talking about government debt and how that affects us personally. I have with me Robert Benlove, the senior economist at Zion Bank, and Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of CPAs. And Susan, I do want to go back to you. You had mentioned that if we want to get involved and if we have concerns and we're frustrated over what the government is doing with the debt and our money, that we should be voting. That that's, that's one big way to affect what happens in Washington, D.C. But how do I affect what is, what is happening in my own household right now because of Washington, D.C.? It can be kind of tough. I mean, we're, we are in this time of inflation. Um, those that are on fixed incomes, they're really feeling the hurt. And so we have to, we have to kind of go back and look at our own spending plans and kind of re- reallocate funds, if you will, lower spending or, or increase our income. I mean, there are plenty of jobs available. You, you know, Utah's at, 2% unemployment rate. Um, lot, there are a lot of jobs available. So it, it's that being physically responsible yourself. Maybe we're going to be cooking at more of our meals in the house rather than eating out, which, you know, causes another effect on the other side. But, but we have to be physically responsibility at our own domain level first. I do want to throw in there about where you're talking about cooking at home would be less expensive than eating out. And there was a report that we did that a lot of people are actually now opting to go back into the office because they don't have to heat their home or use air conditioning as much when they're away from the house. So for them, it's cheaper, even with the cost of gas driving back and forth, or maybe they take public transportation but they're finding it's actually less expensive to go back into the office. Honestly, that's really nothing new. We saw that during the pandemic, many employees were actually asking their employers to reimburse them for the extra cost for them to work at home. So this is really nothing new. Now we're seeing that shift, and it'll be interesting to see if now employers start pulling back and saying, you know what? We're back in the office. Um, we're going to pull that money back in because we have to eat our own office. So that tells me, and I didn't hear that report, but that tells me that people are becoming more conscious of their own finances, that they are looking at them. That's a good thing. Robert, how about you? What do you see in your economic world? I'll tell you, Heather, I think you are the uh, the example of what to do. You know, you mentioned uh, that you only have a mortgage. You're, you're spending cash instead of borrowing. So I think one of the things people need to do is they need to reduce debt mm-hmm. and identify those areas where you can reduce that debt, whether it's, whether it is your mortgage or your car or your credit card or your RC Willie card or whatever it is. Uh, you've got to get that debt down so you can have more control over your finances. And then you have to have a, a budget. You have to know how much is coming in. You have to know how much is going out. And then you've got to cut those costs. And, you know, w- w- the problem is for too long, 
uh, you know, really for 40 years, we've been kind of spoiled. It's been, you know, we haven't had this kind of inflation. We haven't had this kind of financial struggle. And so we haven't developed the habits to be able to control costs. Now we need to bring those back. Maybe grow your own garden, buy some chickens for the backyard. You know, there's lots of different ways that we can save money. And we, we've got to start thinking about that. Yeah. And one, this is a very simple one and it's, it doesn't garner a ton of money, but I would also recommend I put my savings into a high yield savings account. And so, of course, when interest rates dropped, it, it did drop, but it's on the way back up. I just got back in at 3% APR on savings. So my normal, my regular savings account at a typical bank, for the entire year, I would get like maybe 12 cents. But if you go to a high yield saving account, and you can also get CDs there, which usually pay higher as well. Your interest rate on that in just a month, I can get two bucks, depending on how much money's in there. But I think you to... make a good point there. If if you have the ability, put your money to work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, you need to start out. You need to be safe. You know, you've got to be able to save for those those need those emergency savings. You know, you've got to get that layer fulfilled first. But you're right. We're seeing CDs at three, three and a quarter percent right now. Those are federally insured or if you're at a credit union, they're insured as well. Um, but put your money to work for you a little bit, even if it means when you go to the grocery store round up and put the 12, put that 12 cents or whatever, dump that into your savings account. Yeah. But you've got to start somewhere and you've got to know where you're at in order to start. Um, Robert makes a great point to, you know, let's, let's get rid of debt that we really don't need. You know, let's say, let's save for the new couch. Yeah. It's important to write down what you need, like physical needs versus what I want. Mm-hmm. We all want the 72 inch TV, but I can still see the same thing on 22 inches. So that's to go along with the, the budget and the allocating, Robert, as you were talking about allocating your expenses. Write down what you need versus what you want. And if it's on the want category, you kind of throw that away for now while your personal economy might be struggling. I'll tell you, I remember growing up, I was I was born in the 1970s. And when I was young, I remember my mom making us coats. And I remember if I got a hole in my sock, they would fix the socks. Now, what do we do? We throw it all away and we buy new stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've just got to have a different mentality. Anything else from either of you as we wrap this up today? We're in some challenging times, but we're, we're tough. We've been through challenges before. Um, I think that this is an opportunity for us all to take a look at our, at our own physical situation and to just make a few little adjustments to, to improve. It's not the end of the world. We've been through this before. I mean, I, I'm old enough. I remember. 14, 15% mortgage interest rates. I hate to admit that, but we're going to be okay. We just need to be a little smarter and do those things that will keep us physically out of debt. What I learned from this is if you are frustrated with what is happening with our government because they just continue to just raise their our own debt ceiling without too much consequences, it appears to me. But if you are frustrated with that, register to vote. Just get out there and vote. 
and also take on your own personal responsibility as well. I think if the entire country had personal responsibility along with voting, we would see a lot bigger changes going on. I totally agree that, you know, change starts with yourself and all of us acting together can make those differences. Thank you so much again. My guests today were Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants, and Robert Spinlove, the senior economist at Zion Bank. And hopefully we've gotten a little bit more understanding of what Washington, D.C. is doing to creating money out of thin air digitally. And as soon as I figure out how to do that on my end, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. You'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media. Money Making Sense on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.